0: Well, hello again, and welcome to Ask Andrew with the podcast, a podcast of the Searcy Institute Podcasting Network. Is it okay if I'm kind of excited about today's question and I'm excited for reasons that you probably won't appreciate? The question is from Ashley, and it's about catechizing, and here's how it goes. I heard someone recently say that Charlotte Mason would not approve of over-catechizing children. I would like to hear Andrew's thoughts on catechizing children, both religiously and more broadly, both involving traditional written catechisms and beyond these. What is involved in catechizing? Can children be over-catechized? The relationship between catechism and ordering of loves, furnishing the mind, imitation, and so on. Now, some of you who know me know why I'm excited about this question, and that is because this is one of those huge questions that I get to talk about for a year and a half. And not really, but I'm going to divide this question into multiple sessions, if you don't mind, because the first, the first aspect of it, you know, there's a simple opening, um, can can children be over catechized? And the answer is yes. Um, Charlotte Mason would not approve of over catechizing children. Neither would Martin Luther. Neither would John Calvin. Neither would Jesus. Neither would I mean, by definition, you don't approve of something being overdone. So, I, I think I think um, to argue that somebody would approve of over catechizing children would be odd. Um, maybe I am misunderstanding, but but that part of it. You know, that's, that's kind of an easy, fun way, and there's my short answer for the day, right? I always want to have a short answer and then a, a long one. Don't over-catechize your children. Okay, good. Well, what about under-catechizing your children? Is that okay? Uh, no, that's my second short answer. No, don't over-catechize and don't under-catechize, which, of course, leaves the important question. What are we talking about? What is catechizing? What is catechism? You want to even go further, what is a catechumenate? Well, thank you for asking, because because I want to talk about catechizing children, religiously and more broadly, involving traditional written catechisms and, and other options. And in order to do that today, this first attempt to answer the question, I'm going to address a subset of questions. And specifically, I'm going to ask what is catechism? What is the meaning of the word? And I'm going to ask and pursue the question of the historical practice, because um, what are Andrew's thoughts on catechizing religiously and broadly involving traditional written catechisms and beyond these? So I want to talk about the historical practice, if ever so sketchily. And then if I can get to it in time, I want to talk a little bit about my own experience as a child growing up, and then I want to talk about some assumptions behind catechizing and why you would do it. Okay, so so first, let's do the relatively easy part. What is catechizing? What what do we mean by catechizing? Uh, probably you've heard the term catechism, catechism more often than catechizing, but it's the same root. Uh, the Greek word is katachein, katachein or something like that is probably more like they pronounce it, although today it's probably katechin. katechin? I don't know. I can't do a Greek accent. But katechin, literally, it simply means to instruct or to teach. Now, I don't know if it's connected to the Latin word instruct, which really means to, to furnish or equip, which is fascinating. But that's a side point. What it means is to teach or to instruct. And you also can have the word catechumen, and that's the one being taught, the student, if you like. Although in Latin, student means one devoted to something, which is an odd thought, isn't it? They thought differently about school. Um, And a catechumenate is the institution or the group of people that are being catechized, being taught. So really, we could just say, um, (laughs) is it? Is it okay to overteach your children? Well, I think there's something more specific bit that's being asked by in, in this question, of course, which is, I think in the modern and the conventional usage of the term uh, catechizing or teaching, there's an implication of memorizing text. And so as I go forward, I'm going to narrow. Well, first, I want to talk about the history of it, but but just understand that as I'm talking about catechizing in, in any detail. I am going to be honoring the, the the question as I take it, which is really probably, is it okay to have kids memorize a lot? And can you over memorize? Things like that. So so let's talk, before we get narrow like that, let's talk a little bit about the tradition of catechizing. And, and if you're curious about this, it goes way, way back. In fact, we have We have a Coptic text, I think it is, from the second century, and we have a Latin translation of that Coptic, which is just another word for Egyptian. If you think gupt, Egyptus, that's where copt comes from. Um, The G got hardened. But but we have a book by – we have a fifth-century Latin translation of a book by Hippolytus who wrote in the second century apparently a book called the Apostolic – Tradition, apostolic traditions. So they were already considered traditions 75 to 100 years, maybe, after um, the apostles, not even, 50 years perhaps after the apostles lived. And maybe even while the apostles lived, because tradition means something handed on. Uh, Now, the apostolic tradition was Hippolytus collecting what he encountered all around the whole Mediterranean region of how people how churches taught new members, um, how they taught people being prepared for baptism. So the point here is that we have all the way back to the second century written texts that are collections of what the church believes and what a new Christian is expected to believe for full membership in the church. What we have then is, is really deep instruction for new believers. Now, I I came across an article I think some of you might find interesting called Early Church Catechesis and New Christians Classes in Contemporary Evangelicalism. It was written in March of 2004 by a gentleman named Clinton Arnold, who is the professor of New Testament at Talbot School of Theology in La Mirada, California. Um, Now, in that article, he mentions Hippolytus. He goes all the way back. And one of the points he makes is that when we look at modern approaches to teaching new Christians, which I know isn't what the question is about exactly, but I want to just mention this, he says that we really don't go very deep compared to what they used to do. Um, four to six weeks is is sometimes enough in a modern church or even a, a single classroom um, where you explain the gospel. But in the ancient church, there was deep instruction and it was it was preparation for baptism, which was withheld quite a bit more strictly in the ancient church than often it is now. Um, other books that you can get from the ancient world are the Didache or the Didache, however they say that, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, the Apostolic Constitutions, and there are other books. And then, of course, you can read things by the church fathers who often talk about how you go about teaching. So, So in the ancient church there was this great emphasis on instructing new Christians in the life of the church and the beliefs of the church uh, in the experience of the church before they were even baptized. Now, that comes and goes, increases and decreases in both the Eastern and Western church through the first 1,500 churches, but it's uh, 1,500 centuries, 15 centuries, 1,500 years. But it's pretty constant that, instruction in dogma in, in in doctrine is a very big deal and people are expected to know certain essential things and to understand the reasoning behind them or at least the authority behind them when we get to the reformation that doesn't come to an end Uh, Martin Luther one of the the early things that he did as I understand it is is to write a catechism and then um when I was well I'll come to this later but as a child he also wrote a shorter catechism and as a child I was in a Lutheran school where we memorized things out of that shorter catechism taught the ten commandments it taught the apostles creed it taught certain key Lutheran doctrines um John Calvin when when Calvinism well when Cal when John Calvin not Calvinism per se but when John Calvin started to to uh uh, Developed the Geneva School or or the Reformed doctrine. He wrote the Institutes of the Christian Religion, which isn't something everybody had to be catechized in. But his initial purpose, as I understand it, it initially it was a pretty short book, was that all of the churches in 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 his network would read these uh, doctrines and understand them. I don't know. I'm not positive what they did for for the. Um, for a catechism right off the bat. But I know eventually there's the Westminster Confession of Faith. I believe there's also then the Westminster Catechism, right? And and then when we see Anglicanism, which is influenced certainly by Calvinism, also by Luther, uh, when Anglicanism starts to codify itself, they write the 39 articles. And if you're going to be a good Anglican, at least until probably 1700, I don't know, um, you were expected to know and sign on to these 39 articles. Um, so in, that, in those three main branches of the early Reformation, Lutheranism, Calvinism, and Anglicanism, they all placed an emphasis on instruction. And within not too long a period of time, they had catechisms that people were expected to remember, to memorize. There was also the radical, what was called the radical Reformation, which was the... Um, I, I suppose you could say it's farther away from Catholicism, uh, less high church, increasingly um, informal, if you like. And and I would say that what what characterizes the Radical Reformation, and here I'm talking about the Anabaptists, the Mennonites. Uh, the Amish, perhaps. the uh, To some extent, the Puritans, who were largely Anglicans until they came to America, as I understand it, but but the Puritans were stepping further away from high church Anglicanism, certainly. And then in America, the Baptists themselves, which came out of Roger Williams' work in, in uh, New England. Um, more and more, the Christian life is about I don't want to make exclusive categories. I'm talking about on a scale of balance here. Um, More about experience and perhaps less emphasis, less time spent on getting doctrine straight. Um, More emphasis on on holiness and purity and um, spiritual condition, um, which anybody who's Anglican, Lutheran, or Calvinist is now ready to shoot me, but I just mean in terms of the amount of time they spend talking about it and and sort of developing almost a catechumenate or, or rituals or practices that develop it. Um, my impression of the Radical Reformation is that you see a radical shift to prayer and Bible study and less weight on catechism. But there's a very wide range of of how that plays itself out across different denominations, across different groups, and so on. I think the big problem with, with the Radical Reformation is, is that it splits a lot. Um, my favorite religious joke in the whole world is by Emo Phillips. Um, look up Emo Phillips San Francisco Bridge, and you'll either be deeply offended by what he says or you'll laugh your head off. I personally just choose to do both. Um, but all of the splits... In, in, in the Radical Reformation are an argument for more catechism, perhaps, um, or maybe not. Now, when we get to American evangelicalism, which flows out of uh, the Second Great Awakening, the spread of Baptist doctrine, um, I would say a lot of the Methodist developments, as I understand it. I think Charles Finney was the great leader of the Second Great Awakening, And from the 19th to the 21st century, you see American evangelicalism develop in a way that is, I'm going to say, not heavy on catechism, but very heavy on conversion and on experience. Um, Less emphasis in terms of weight, again. I'm not saying they treat it as unimportant, but in terms of time spent on it, less emphasis on doctrine, more on experience. Um, Chuck, Charles Finney is important, Billy Sunday, Dwight Moody, um, I would even say Billy Graham and Carl Henry with with uh, Christianity Today in the 50s and 60s developing, sort of organizing evangelicalism in a, in a mere Christian sort of, well, at least a mere evangelical sort of way. Um, when you see Pentecostalism and, and the Charismatics um, renewal in the early 20th century and with the Pentecostals, and then I think it's in the 40s or 50s that it becomes much more charismatic – um, for those of you who don't know the distinctions, don't worry about it right now, unless you are thinking of becoming Pentecostal or charismatic, in which case I recommend you look closely at the distinctions. Um, but in any case, I think, again, the the emphasis on experience and on personal encounter as opposed to doctrinal statement is 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 ever, ever increasing. I think the problem that we've encountered, however, in 20th and 21st century American Christianity, I would put it this way. This question comes up, on what authority or on what basis can a person say that, for example, a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon is not a Christian? And they both identify themselves as Christians. Do we have to come back to a catechism that emphasizes Trinity and Incarnation? Um, I leave that to the greater thinkers than myself but it's a question that seems important at this moment in time now that's my offensive and over hasty summary of christian history and the catechumenate and catechism and i think you can see that it's declined but let me talk about my experience because i grew up in a in a more or less radical protestant sect called the plymouth brethren although it really formed in the 19th century but it it was um it was um Let's say low church, and I can't. I if you know me, you know how much I appreciate my upbringing in that in the Plymouth Brethren. And if you are Plymouth Brethren, um, say hi to everybody for me. Um, the emphasis on worship was incredible. The instruction I got on Bible study and on prayer was incredible, and I think that's why I, I'm, I pointed out that as at some points in the movement away from catechism, the movement is away from catechism to Bible study and prayer. And who's going to complain about that? Um, But I had just great instruction. We had an Awana club, um, memorized lots of Bible verses. But what's interesting is we never, at Awana, never recited a creed. I don't think we even, in in the Plymouth Brethren, we didn't even say the Lord's Prayer. Um, I think I also attended a Baptist church for a few years Learned lots of Bible verses. Again, attended a wanna. Um, I don't think we recited the Lord's Prayer. Maybe we did, but we did memorize a lot of verses. I don't remember ever reciting any creed, although I do remember saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, I also went to Lutheran school for second and third grade, and that's where I encountered the Luther's Shorter Catechism. When I was a little older, I I had a um, I, I've. Had a lot of time um, studying well I loved when I was in college I loved calvin 's institutes and i I loved to discuss theology with my reformed friends. Um, they moved me more toward being cate- catechized toward um, you know memorizing things from a catechism. I was episcopal for a few years Anglican, and at that time we did uh, it was a more liturgical church, and we did recite the creed every week um, we said the Lord's prayer every week, and it was and it was more like a catechetical church. But if we look at it compared to the early history of the church, I mean, I don't know. Did I go for a couple months to one-hour sessions on 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 catechism? And <laughs> forgive me for mentioning this, but I remember in particular the teacher thinking that Athanasius, in his on the incarnation, might have had some hang-ups that he was so obsessive. Um, I also spent quite a bit of time reading um rcia materials and notice there that you're getting a huge emphasis on on doctrine and and on the the long tradition and teachings of the church Um, today i'm a member of the orthodox church and we do some degree of catechism we have a catechumenate when before you get um chrismated it's called before you become a member of the orthodox church you need to go through instruction but here's my conclusion about current christianity nobody catechizes enough. In fact, I think nobody seems to take it seriously enough. And when I say nobody, I mean no group. There are undoubtedly people who (laughs) catechize too much. Um, But the thing is, there's the point. In the conventional church, it's very much up to the individual church to decide how much they're going to catechize and how much they're not. And I think generally speaking, there's an implication or an assumption behind catechism that is very weak in our culture, and if I may say directly what that assumption is, it 's the assumption of authority right we don't We don't respect authority very much, whether it be that authority can tell you that you should do something or whether it be that um, an authority has authority because he knows what he 's talking about, and so um Everybody comes into the church on his own authority. Everybody comes into the church having been, having you know, convinced himself that this is this is the one for him. I say everybody. I'm exaggerating, of course, Um, but I think what I'm saying is I think in our age it's a weakness, and therefore I think we do need to do um, a bit of a restoration of catechizing. Now, I want to just make eight. I want to state what I think are eight assumptions behind why you would catechize. And I'm going to end with this without a lot of commentary. I'll just list these assumptions. These are my own thoughts. I didn't look this up. And so I'm not speaking with authority. You can challenge all of these. But this is, it seems to me, why we would catechize church members or children or or our Culture. I mean, let's face it, our culture works exceedingly hard to catechize children, the difference being that it's extremely subjective, and the children really aren't ever going to grow up and figure out what was happening to them, um, unless some contrary approach comes along. It's not not a mode of catechism that allows for self-analysis, it's a mode of catechism that is exceedingly manipulative, and uh, I would say destructive of the mind and soul of the children, but... Um, let's set that aside for now, and maybe we'll pick it up next session. Here's my assumptions behind, and this is my assumptions, not on so much why I would catechize, but what seems to be behind the people who do catechize, which I am one of. Assumption one: there is a minimum of knowledge needed. There is a minimum, let's say, amount. There is a minimum amount of knowledge needed for a person to understand whatever it is you're you're talking about okay there, there's 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 things that you simply have to know whether it's about baseball football basketball dance history literature philosophy or theology or the spiritual life there's there are some things you have to know second those things are essential there are there are bits of knowledge that you have to have. So maybe that's the same thing, but I wanna emphasize you have to have it. Three, getting that knowledge in the mind of the student early is important. Four, that knowledge can begin in the mind and then it can move from the mind into the heart, if you like. It can move from the head to the heart. But it's okay to begin with the mind. Five. It is the soul that holds these things. Not a bucket. Not a jug. The children are not jugheads. What I mean by this is that if you memorize a passage... And as a child, as one who was forced or, or coerced or rewarded for memorizing a lot of things as a child, whether in school or, or at church or at, the, or at home, um, there's a lot of things in my head that I didn't voluntarily, uh, totally freely put there. But it's not just that my head is a jug that gets filled up. It is that my mind is part of my soul. And I will do something with that. And there's many, many things that I received into my child, my soul as a child, that became seeds of life to me. And I had no idea what they meant at the time. So the soul holds these things, not a bucket. Number six, verbal communication is valuable. Words, right? Words matter. They carry weight. Put a word in a mind and things can happen. Now, some people think that verbal communication is enough, that if you memorize the passage, that's enough. Not not very many people consciously think that. But a lot of people think they've taken care of a problem if they've got their child to memorize something. That's not the case, but it is valuable. Number seven. Our beliefs are essential to our identity, okay? We have a community, we all do, whether it's the Disney community or Hollywood community or New York um, art scene community, everybody has a community. And the beliefs that that community holds to identify it. So it's good to know them. Number eight. This is important, maybe the most important of the eight. Our common experience can be shared and explained and most of all guided. And to me, this is the essence of catechizing. The idea is that there is somebody who walked this journey already. There is somebody who has made progress in this area of knowledge or in this experience, and they can guide us, and they can give us lampposts and warnings and encouragement. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Sometimes that's all we can have is a lamp that lights it just far enough for our feet, and sometimes it's a light unto my path. Sometimes because of the word, I can see the path to take. Well, that's the point of catechizing. There are people who have a great deal more wisdom than I have. And I wanted, when my children were little, I wanted them to be teaching them. I didn't want my children to be bound only to what I knew. Okay, now, I have not directly addressed the question of catechizing as lots of memory work. I hope I have given context within which we can explore that question. So in the next session, I'll come a little more closely, or maybe I'll even directly address that question of catechism as memory work. In the meantime, thank you for listening. And may the Lord remember you in his kingdom. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?